Well, it is so good to see you. Uh, many of you, I look around the room and I see a lot of familiar faces from uh, last time being here. So greetings and thank you so much for allowing me to come back and just to get to be with you. And uh, so Jason, thanks so much for um, the welcome. So I, I, I did, I brought uh, um, some family with me this time. So last time I came uh, as part of the, the group from Stonebriar, but I brought my son Josh with me this time. So Josh is right back here and uh, he, he's enjoying me pointing him out and embarrassing him in front of everybody. But, uh, and then a colleague of mine from uh, in ministry at DTS and, and at Stonebriar, uh, Jonathan Murphy. So. Thanks, you guys, for coming with me today. I appreciate it. What's good about this is if the sermon goes really, really poor and or if I keel over or whatever, there's two guys right here ready to go, Jason. So you, you just tap them out of the bullpen and we're good to go. Well, as, as, as Jason mentioned, my name is actually Charles Dickens. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't a joke. It was, it's really Charles Dickens. Isn't that funny to think about that? Um, so many of you probably, you know, you'd studied growing up through school and knew that Charles Dickens was a famous author. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you the story about how I knew, how I learned that my name Charles Dickens was actually a famous name. In, in my family, the first male every generation just got the name Charles. So my dad's name was Charles, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, okay, that's what happens in our family. But uh, as I'll share with you guys in just a few minutes, I, I grew up in a totally non-Christian home. So very out of control, very chaotic, very, uh, very worldly home. And I was one of those teenage kids that was one of those kids. I was one of those kids, okay? So I was like the kid that um, just... just a wake of chaos around me. And uh, I remember one day I was in high school and uh, a, a few of my buddies and I were up to no good, which was, you know, normal. And, uh, and I still remember we, we were kind of tired of class that day. So those of you who, I don't want to scare the parents here, but this is the sort of thing that goes through teenagers' minds. And so about five or six of us got together and said, hey, let's play hide and seek today instead of going to school. But we were already at school, and so we decided that we were going to play hide-and-seek in the school building while school was going on. And, uh, and so what, part of the rules, you know, is that somebody was it, and you'd tag the other guy, and, and they'd be it. But if you got caught by one of your buddies, you had to be it, or if you got caught by a teacher or an administrator or something like that. So the best places to hide in the school building is where nobody would find you. So guess where I went? The library, that's right. <laughs> Which I couldn't find at first because I didn't know where it was. And, uh, but once I made it to the library, I hid in the back of the library. And uh, I got down on, on the ground so nobody could see me. I was doing like a little army crawl back in the corner. Nobody was gonna find me. And I'm telling you, I was back there for at least 30 minutes. And I just thought, this is great. So I'm laying there on the ground and I'm looking at the shelf of books and I see my name. There's like a whole shelf of books with my name on it. I'm like, why Charles Dickens? What is that? What, why is my name on there? So I, I won. Nobody found me. But I remember going home later that day and asking my mom. I'm like, is Charles Dickens like a thing? And she's like, yeah, he's like a famous British author. 
And I'm like, why, why wouldn't you tell me that? And she goes, well, I just thought you knew. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. So anyway, there you go. So Charles Dickens, uh, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And okay, so let's transition uh, to our scripture. Okay, so Ephesians 2, if you guys would turn there, uh, or I say turn there, I'm, I'm pulling it up on my phone as well. So uh, Ephesians 2. So our topic today is part of this ongoing series, if I understand it right, Jason. Uh, we're uh, as thinking through um, kind of w- what God's uh, movement is like. And so our topic for today is what, what is our purpose? And really, for me, as I'm preparing this for you guys, I, I drifted away from that question of what is my purpose to really a nuance different. And I want to invite you guys into this different question of what is God's purpose for me? What, not just what is my purpose in life, but what is God's purpose for me? And unlike Charles Dickens, who would make you read a really lengthy book before you got to the final conclusion, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what your purpose is, what God's purpose is for your life. It's in Ephesians 2, verse 10. So we'll skip right to the end of the book. How great is that? So you don't have to wait for the grand finale. Look at verse 10 with me, if you would. Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship. One verse actually calls it, we are his handiwork. Having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them or we may walk in them. So I want you to think about the, the, your purpose is you are God's handiwork. You are his creation. Uh, you might even understand that phrase as his masterpiece. This is one of God's works that he has labored and taken a time to create, just like an artist, just like an author who would create something. That's you. You're God's creation. But you're not just something that God created just to enjoy or be entertained with. You're this new creation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus so that when somebody looks at us, if somebody gazes at you, if somebody gets to know you, you reflect something of who the author is. You're you're actually God's message. You're God's billboard to the world. This is how people in this world, we'll get to know who God is by looking at you. This is your purpose. This is my purpose. So what is it that people are going to learn about who God is by getting to know us, by looking at us, by considering us his, his masterpiece, his, his billboard, his work of art? What is it about his character? And that's where we're going to go back to the beginning of this passage. So if you would, go right back up to uh, Ephesians uh, 2 verse 1 with me. Although you were dead, Chip, in your transgressions and sins. Does, does yours read that way as well? <laughs> mine, mine doesn't either, but it would be impossible to read through this passage without inserting yourself into this. Paul is obviously writing to the Ephesian believers, but this hits home for me. I do remember, you guys, I know many of you probably grew up in families of faith and uh, were in Christian homes or homes that were stable, that was not my experience. And, and, and I'm not just blaming it on my own, I'm just trying to give you a context. My life was out of control, you guys. And I vividly remember uh, kind of that lostness that, that Paul's talking about here. The, the transgressions and sins in my life were not just some kind of theoretical thing. I remember actually the sins 
Like I, I remember the events. I remember the people that were on the, the receiving end of my sin. Uh, I, I can remember um, not really even having a sense of what's right and wrong. Uh, and I didn't have kind of a moral compass. So you know that little thing inside of you when you do awful things? My, mine like was never turned on. Somehow mine wasn't calibrated right. So I could do all kinds of things and I felt great at the end of the day. I slept wonderfully. Um, but, but now looking back, I can't imagine uh, the, the, just the havoc and the, and the, and the destruction that I, 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 I turned out in people's lives, not to mention my own life. A buddy of mine, uh, uh, we'll, we'll call him Jim. I don't know why we'll call him Jim. His name is actually Jim. Uh, <laughs> I'm here in Ireland. You'll never know who he is, but I'm, I'm trying to pretend like I'm protecting his identity. But uh, so Jim and I, uh, we, we were, uh, he had this great idea when we were in high school, again, probably after ditching class and hiding in the library. He said, hey, Chip, you know what we could do is we could uh, buy a speaker just like this, and we'll mount it in the front of my car, and we could drive around our community and yell profanities at people. I was like, that sounds like a brilliant idea. <laughs> so after school, we would drive through the community. And I'm telling you, I had a vocabulary that would impress you, not in a good way. I, I still remember we drove up to this one intersection and uh, I was feeling particularly nasty that day. So he was driving and I had this speaker and we pulled up to this intersection. Now we don't have a lot of roundabouts, which is maybe what uh, the US should consider after what I did. Um, and so cross traffic uh, had started to back up through the intersection and so there were cars blocking the intersection so we couldn't go through. So we pulled right up next to this car that was blocking the intersection. And it was a sweet mom, I assume, uh, with some kids in the back seat. And, and uh, she just didn't you know, have enough room to get through the intersection, so she's blocking it. Well, I, I thought I'd let her know what I thought about that. And so we pulled right up next to the car. We didn't hit her, but she couldn't move. So she was just held captive while I screamed profanity at this woman to the point that I, I still remember looking at her and she was just in tears crying and I remember my friend Jim and I just going oh, isn't that amazing that we could just destroy people like this so when I read this passage I'm not just thinking about you know some theoretical things I was awful to people one of my best gifts throughout high school and was vandalism I mean I was like I I specialized in it I was good at it. This was, I, I lived a life that was really exactly what Paul is talking about here. It's not hard for me. Now, maybe you didn't grow up with kind of the skills that I had. Uh, you know, fortunately, our son Josh grew up in a Christian home. So he has his sins, but they're just not quite as, you know, catastrophic as mine were. My wife grew up in a wonderful Christian home. She would, she would tell you that her parents are like, uh, um, you know, like Ward and June, leave it to Beaver, Christian. I mean, it was just so wholesome and just normal. So she loves Jesus, but she never lived in a home that was out of control like mine. So when I read Ephesians 2, and it says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit 
that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. I can't read that and not imagine me. I'm not reading this thinking about my neighbor. I'm not reading this and thinking about somebody else in my life who probably needs to hear this. Have you ever been in sermons where you went, oh, I wish, I wish my friend was here today to hear that. I, I read this and I go, this is me. I was this person among whom all of us formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. I love verse 4. Jason read it perfectly. But God. Here's one of the amazing things about God is that he cho chose to be merciful to people like me, to people like you people who are lost in their sin, people who are engaged in the world system, people who have given up their birthright as image bearers, who have, who have turned away from God and have totally indulged in the world, but God. And so he steps in because of his great love, his great mercy, which he had loved us. Even though we were dead, even though you were dead, Chip, in your transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. My same friend, Jim, <laughs> Jim was a significant part of my life in high school. So one night I was spending the night at my friend's Jim, friend Jim's house. My mom was a single mom at this time and she was working two or three jobs and really had no idea where most of us were as kids. And uh, um, so I just, I would spend the night at anybody's house who would have me. And so I'm spending the night at Jim's house on one Saturday night. And I still remember we're, uh, we're, we're tucked in bed. He's in his bed. I'm laying on the floor and Jim, uh, um, says, okay, good night. And then I'm like, uh, is that it? Are we just going to bed? He goes, well, I, I guess, do you want to go to church tomorrow? And I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't even know you go to church. I don't go to church. I don't even know people who go to church. What are you talking about? And I was kind of irritated with him. And he goes, okay, no big deal. I don't go that often. I just thought I'd throw it out there. I said, no, we're not going to church. So we went to sleep. Well, like most teenage boys, about five minutes later, I woke him up and I said, hey, do you think there'll be girls there? <laughs> and then Jim, the great evangelist, you know, he says, oh, Chip, there'll be, there'll be amazing opportunity for you. And uh, he even tried to convince me. He goes, Chip, you're kind of popular at school, but you're not in the upper tier. This, if you come to church with me, this will push you into the top group. So th that's all I needed to hear. So I said, all right, let's do this thing. Let's go to church. And so I still remember that first day going to church. Now, it wasn't quite like this. There were benches instead of chairs. And I, I didn't know what these benches were. And so I remember sitting back in the back, kind of about where the soundboard is. And I'm back there working the crowd. I'm like trying to meet girls. I'm passing notes. I'm completely turned around. I didn't even understand why was there a guy up front talking the whole time? I didn't know who he was. So I'm working the crowd, church is over. I've met a few people, things are looking up for me. And as we're leaving, Jim goes, well, that was fun. Uh, I guess, you know, we don't have to come back here for a couple of months. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, we just started this project. Let's, I'll be back next Sunday. So I started coming really faithfully every Sunday to, to you know, find a girlfriend or something, or who knew what would happen. Well. 
as you can imagine, being around these Christians who I'd never seen before. Their lives were, they were messy, but they weren't messy like mine. They were, they were still in the world. They were struggling with things, but they had a sense of hope, and there was like tenderness and like, just like I was watching you guys fellowship just a minute ago, I watched that happen when I was a teenager. I saw that, and I thought, wow, there's people who know God, apparently, and it changes their lives. Well, I just watched it. I didn't really ask any questions. I just wanted to blend in. Plus, I was still looking for a girlfriend. And, and so, as the years went by, and I, I really do mean this, as years went by, I got to know the pastor well. I got to know people in the church well. And then one Sunday, I remember I was walking out of the service. Jason, I'm sure, probably never does this, but our pastor at the time would shake everybody's hand on the way out. And I would watch. Everybody would tell him, hey, great job, pastor, great sermon. And I always thought pastors were kind of weak. Like, who needs that kind of affirmation every Sunday from everybody? Like, everybody else is doing their job, and they're not getting their handshake. But so I'm walking out, shaking this guy's hand. And so I tell the pastor, hey, great job. I don't even know if he did a good job, but I thought everybody else was telling him this. So he wouldn't let go of my hand. He kept shaking the, my hand. And then, now there's a line of people gathering up. And I said, hey, uh, this is getting weird, you know. <laughs> and he's, so he says, hey, Chip, do we need to talk about anything? Like, do we need to talk? I was like, no, please stop talking to me now. And... <laughs> He goes, okay, well, how about I'll just, uh, I'll, be, I'll be in touch with you. And I was like, okay, sure, let's get together sometime, hoping he would totally forget about it. Well, that was on a Sunday. So on Monday, almost 24 hours later, he pulls up in front of my house. And I could see the car. I could look out through the window. And my mom is, uh, and I don't say this to belittle my mom, but my mom is laying on the couch drinking a screwdriver, smoking a cigarette, just trying to make it through the day. And me and my two siblings are, I mean, we're probably vandalizing something. And I see the pastor pull up in front of my house. I didn't know that he even knew where I lived. And these three school teachers get out of the car with him. And I recognize them. They're, one of them's like my math teacher, and I'm horrible in her class. And I'm like, oh. I could see them walking towards the house. I think this is going to be some kind of like, a, like an intervention, you know, like they're going to, they're going to tell my mom what an awful kid I am, and she's going to go, uh, I kind of know, but don't worry about it. So I told my mom, I said, hey, there's some church people coming to the door right now. Uh, you should probably go hide uh, in the back of the house. And my mom goes, thanks for the heads up. So she gets up, and she gets my brother and sister and they go to the back of the house and so the the church people came in this pastor sat down with me he didn't even ask he just says let me explain to you how the gospel works let me explain to you right here what we're reading in Ephesians 2 he says did you know that God loves you and wants to extend mercy and kindness to you this this passage he he explained to me that it was God's gift it wasn't something that I had to work for I didn't even know what questions to ask, but he knew as a, as a kind, attentive pastor and just walked me through the scripture. These three women sat in the room and didn't say anything. I, I kind of looked at them and I said, why are you guys here? And they said, well, we're all Christians. We've been praying for you for years. I'm like, 
I bet you've been praying for me. I've been awful in your classes. And they were like, yeah, we know. That's, <laughs> that's largely why we pray for you. So our lives will be better too. But, um, but, they, but, they, but they genuinely cared for me. So he walked me through the scriptures and asked me if I wanted to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And of course I said, yeah, I think so. And so we prayed right there in, the, in, in my living room. I remember sitting on the edge of my couch and he kind of just walked me through it. And uh, there was just this sweet sense of peace that came over me. I remember thinking, oh, finally God and I are okay with each other. Like somehow we were on good terms. And, uh, oh, it was just really good, you guys. If, if you've been lost and you know you're lost and then God finds you, it's good. It's really good. If you're lost and you haven't been found, that stinks. And I'm glad I can remember that feeling. I'm glad I can remember that. Well, we get up, they hug me, you know, and they're kind of telling me, hey, we'll see you at church next week. And by, you know, this is two and a half years later, so I've given up trying to find a girlfriend. And uh, so I, uh, I'm, I'm walking them out the door, and sure enough, my mom, who doesn't even know where, I, she doesn't even know I go to church or anything. She, do, she doesn't know anything. She sticks her head around the corner and goes, hey, uh, I'm his mom. I was like, my first prayer request as a believer was, oh, please, mom, don't offer the pastor a vodka or a cigarette. <laughs> he, he, he honored the request, so that was good. So my mom just said, hey, I'd like to, uh, we've been listening, I've been listening to this whole thing, and I don't know anything about Jesus, but I, I think I'd like to see, I'd like to receive Jesus too. So my mom, who has no idea where I've been going to church, she, could, she would have accidentally joined a cult, she didn't even know, but she received Christ right then. My brother, who was about two years younger than me, he goes, hey, what about me? course he was like my partner in crime most of the time but he was like I I need a savior so my brother received Christ and then my sister she was 11 she's so funny mm -hmm. she you know she was always like afraid she was going to get left out of everything so she was like well I want to follow Jesus so my whole family got baptized together at this little Baptist church in Keller Texas my mom is so sweet she uh I mean, this is a long time ago in case you were confused, I, I've been out of high school for a little bit. Um, so my mom's been, the, she, she leads like a little uh, old lady Sunday school class at this Baptist church still. But isn't that amazing how God would take somebody who's out of control, living a chaotic life, extend grace to them. And it, it's a but God moment, as, as Ephesians says here. Look at this last little section as we wrap this up. I want you to pick up with me um, in verse 6. By, by grace you are saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Think about that for just a moment. The, the idea is that you would have status. You guys would have, a, 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 as Christ followers, that we would, with a, with an, a, a, a heavenly audience and a heavenly kind of, position, seated us with him, with Christ. For what purpose, though? To demonstrate in the coming ages. This, this is the billboard that you are. This, is, this is, gives us a clue as to what our purpose is. God didn't just save us 
to save me just for my own well-being, though I'm so thankful that he did. He saved me so that he might put me on display. He saves you so that you might be a, a demonstration of what God's grace and what kind, his kindness would look like. Isn't that an amazing thought? I know, I know that by nature we're kind of selfish humans, and so even our own salvation we think is mostly about us. But it's not. It's a both and. It is about you. You are special. You are treasured by the living God that he would save you. But he's saving you so that he might hold you up as a display of what his character would be like. As it, as it goes on, uh, to demonstrate to the coming age the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. Don't ever think that you were saved just for your own benefit. You were saved for the benefit of what God is trying to accomplish in the world. You, you were saved for the purpose for him to make known, to make manifest, to disclose to the world what his character is like. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not from works. This one's not hard for me because I didn't grow up in the church, so I never get confused about what works, what, what, what the role of works are for me. My wife, who did grow up in the church, sometimes she gets confused. Not really, but, you know, it gets mixed together. Maybe God really does show preference to me because I've lived a good life. See, for me, that's never a problem. I'm always thinking, oh, anything good that comes out of this life is the result of God having saved me and done a good work through me. So I, I just want to challenge you to, to, if you are someone who grew up in the church, to, to remember that it, it's not from works that you're saved. No one can boast. We are his handiwork. We are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for works that God prepared beforehand. So even the things that God will have you do or live in or walk in this Christian life, this was part of the plan. This was not plan B. This was not plan C. This is your redemption and your transformation is a way for God to show his power and his character for the world to see. If you're not someone who's a Christian, today would be a great day. Today would be a great day when you walk out and shake my hand and tell me, great job, even if you don't even remember what I said. Today would be a good day if you haven't taken that step of faith. Let somebody know before, you, before the day ends. Reach out to someone here in the church and just ask them. I don't even know what he's talking about. Would you help me? I, uh, I still think back to that, that living room where the pastor walked me through this. It changed my life. It was a but God moment for sure. And today could be a but God moment for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much uh, for the work that you accomplished through Jesus on the cross for our benefit. It sounds so familiar, but it still just penetrates my heart. Just so grateful. It's not hard for me to imagine how my life would have gone had it stayed on the same trajectory. A life of despair, of emptiness, a life of destruction. Father, I think about all the people that I harmed and um, just for entertainment. 
I can't imagine spending decades and decades of um, just living in chaos. So I'm just so glad. Just so very thankful for your, your kindness, your grace, your mercy, as I got to experience it. And I'm doubly glad that you have chosen us to be recipients of it so that we could be on display for the world, this world, and even the heavenlies, the angels. What an audience to get to see your amazing grace, your amazing kindness on display in our lives. Father, for those of us who have yet to take that step of faith, I pray that you'd help us today. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.